0: Right, good morning. Uh, as Eddie mentioned, uh, we are on Lesson 41 this morning. And so again, if you need a packet, uh, he has those in the back. Uh, but we are in Lesson number 41. Uh, Wednesday evening, uh, we talked about in Lesson 40, uh, remember we've been spending about the past five class periods talking about this very busy day in the life of Jesus. And uh, he gets on that boat and he heads over to the, the eastern side Of the Sea of Galilee, and there uh, was where we talked about on Wednesday evening how uh, he was approached by those uh, two uh, demon-possessed men immediately after he arrived. And so, um, you know, again, Mark and Luke only mention there's, they only mention one guy because they're just, uh, they're just about talking about the the main character while matthew lets us know that there were two actually there were two demon-possessed individuals who met jesus uh on the sea of galilee on the eastern side but again mark and luke they just focus on the one man and remember this this man what we learned about him is that he had been uh naked for a pretty long time uh the demon uh possession uh, that that was going on in his life uh made him uh, for a long time. we were told that he was naked, that he was living in the tombs, uh, that he was screaming night and day, that he was gashing himself. Uh, we were told that he was kept under guard, uh, probably meaning you know there was probably someone who was responsible of watching uh, this individual at every night, you know keeping an eye on him, making sure he doesn't come into the city or anything like that. Uh, because they tried to shackle him, they sh- tried to uh, bind him in, in, in bonds. But you know, he, we're told that, uh, we, that he just couldn't be contained. He broke the shackles, he broke the bonds, and so as he sees Jesus approaching, he knows who Jesus is right away. Uh, and again, this was pretty common. We we talked about for. Uh, the demons during the, the gospel accounts to know who Jesus was. You know, They knew that he was the son of God. He, you know, he, they knew that he was the son of the most high. And so they knew who he was. And, and right away as Jesus you know, asks them what his name is. And he mentions that you know he is legion. Uh, meaning that there was just multiple demons within uh, him. Again we don't know how many. Uh, but uh, he refers to himself as legion. Uh, But before Jesus casts him out of that man, uh, you remember, where do they ask to uh, have the authority to go into? The swine, right. There's some swine in the distance. Uh, Mark tells us that there were about 2,000 swine. And so Jesus allows them. He gives them the authority to leave that man and go into the swine. And what happens to the swine when the demons enter the swine? All right, they run off a cliff right into the sea and drown themselves. And of course, uh, the people are, um, they're, well, first of all, they're amazed, but they're in quite a bit of fear as well. And uh, because of that, do they want Jesus to stay or do they want him to leave? Yeah, right, they want him to leave. They want him to get out of town. Um, but of course, the, the man who Jesus uh, cleansed of the demon. Uh, he wants to tag along with Jesus. He is so thankful for Jesus for uh, giving back him back his life that he wants to go and follow him. Uh, but Jesus tells him to go back home, and uh, and we're also told by Mark that uh, while he did that, he proclaimed uh, this uh, this news, this message throughout Decapolis, uh, which is. Uh, which means the ten cities. So it was quite a big area that this man went and proclaimed Jesus to. And then we, we sort of spent most, probably half the class talking about uh, demons because this isn't the only time that Jesus is going to encounter demons with, in Scripture. Uh, we, we've seen these before. Uh, we're going to see them again. And so we just, find, we just talked about some of the things about them, that, that uh, they are spirits, uh, that they are intelligent, again, because they, they show personality, they, they knew who Jesus was. Uh, we mentioned that the, they're not mentioned in the Old Testament. Uh, and uh, because of that, you know, we come to the conclusion that you know, this was sort of a, a miraculous time. You know, Jesus is uh, on the earth, he's doing his ministry, and uh, the demons were allowed to, during this time, to possess individuals so that Jesus could show his power over the spiritual realm. Now of course, we also mentioned that you know this this no longer um, is around today again because mirac- the the miraculous age uh, ceased there in the first century, and it was again only during this time period uh, that we see that people were being possessed by demons, and that Jesus and his apostles and those uh, who they gave the power over were able to expel them and then we also kind of touched on you know uh what were demons? Uh, because there are a lot of different theories. You know, The Bible doesn't specifically tell us uh, where they came from or who they are. And so you know, we talked about probably the most popular theory is that they were fallen angels. While a lot of people and I kind of lean more towards that these were spirits of evil men. Again, who were allowed to do what they could do uh, under the authority of Jesus during that time period. But again, when, when the, the miraculous age went away, so did demon possession. And so... Uh, We spent a lot of time talking about that on Wednesday evening. uh, We're moving right along. Uh, I'm going to be in the book of Luke uh, this morning in Luke chapter 5, verses 29 through 39. And uh, we're going to notice another uh, sort of dinner party setting. Uh, Again, we've we've been at a dinner party already in the life of Jesus, but we're going to be at another one. And uh, we're, we're going to notice uh, the Pharisees and uh, the, the uh, disciples of even John the Baptist asking some questions. And so um, Matthew chapter 9 verse 1 actually tells us that, uh, that after those events of you know, Jesus healing the, the, the demon-possessed men, that he goes back to his own city. And you remember where that is? Capernaum? Yeah, yeah, so that, again, that's Jesus' home base. Uh, this isn't where he grew up, or this isn't where he was born, but this is where his ministry is, is uh, home base. It's Capernaum. And so when the Bible talks about his own city, uh, that's what it's in reference to. And so Jesus is going back to Capernaum. And you know, and there's some confusion as to, uh, between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what happens next. Uh, some of the, the, the accounts uh, talk about Jairus and his daughter, and maybe that's an account you're familiar with of Jesus raising her from the dead. And that's what we're going to look at on Wednesday. Well, next Sunday, uh, next yeah, a week from today, we'll look at that account. and We're going to follow Matthew's kind of chronological order. And uh, we're going to look at this feast first. And then we'll look at Jairus's daughter next time. Because, again, I'll be out uh, Wednesday evening. And so uh, my Brother Jason's going to have our class uh, for us. And uh, for you, and uh, we'll pick up on the life of Christ next Sunday. Um, But again, we're going to talk about this feast uh, that uh, somebody is going to give. And uh, there's going to be some questions coming up during this feast about fasting. Now, it was probably 20 lessons or so ago, uh, we spent a class talking about fasting uh, I can't remember if it was a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning. So hopefully, you know, if not, it'll at least be a refresher for you uh, of, you know, what is fasting and the purposes of fasting and uh, why is it not a common practice today? And should we fast today? You know, those are questions that Jesus is dealing with here in this text. Um, again, uh, when you read Matthew, Mark and Luke's account, uh, they both sort of give us uh, you know, different angles as to what's going on here. And some of them talk about how the Pharisees come to Jesus. And uh, I believe it's Matthew who mentions that John the Baptist's disciples are here as well. And so they're, a- they're also asking uh, this question about Jesus. So, um, again, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have this account within them. Uh, I'm going to focus in on Luke's uh, account solely. And so we'll look at Luke chapter 5. Uh, verses 29. Well, let's start in verse 27. They'll give us the full context. And then, uh, and then we'll discuss. So starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. <clears throat> After that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, You cannot make the attendants of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? But the days will come, and when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. And he was also telling them a parable No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will both tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled out, and the skins will be ruined. The new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking the old wine, wishes for new. For he says, the old is good enough. Okay, so, uh, really there's... Two uh, major sections here within the text, and so uh, as we explore the first part, uh, Levi gives a big reception to the Lord. Uh, Jesus, you know, asks him to follow him, and uh, he does. He leaves everything behind and gets up. We're told Levi is a a, a tax collector. Now, who is Levi more familiar, for excuse me, for more familiar to us as? Matthew, right. Uh, this is Matthew. This is Matthew who writes the Gospel of Matthew. This is Matthew, one of the 12 apostles. Uh, Luke just refers to him as Levi. Uh, you know, um, pe- people in this time had, went by many names, right? Uh, Simon Peter, uh, Cephas. Uh, some of the, most of the scholars believe that maybe this was sort of a, a second name of Matthew. You know, maybe his full name was Matthew Levi, or ma- maybe he was part of the Levitical tribe. And so... Whatever it's worth, Um, Luke refers to him as Levi, but uh, we know that this is Matthew. Matthew, the tax collector. Uh, How were tax collectors viewed by the Pharisees? Very negatively, negatively, right. Uh, Often when you read in the scriptures of tax collectors, uh, they're lumped in with the sinners. right? They'll often say, you know, Jesus... Was eating with the tax collectors and the sinners. You know, a lot of times they will lump those two sort of in the same group. Uh, Publicans—that's another name for tax collectors. Uh, not only did they tax, uh, collect taxes from their fellow Jews from the Roman Empire, but they also lived well by taking more than what was required them by Rome. Right. So these were Jewish men who were hired by the Roman government to go and collect taxes among their own people. And because of the power that they had, a lot of them ended up being corrupt and you know, it would take a little bit more than what was necessary and you know, then they would pocket that. Right? Uh, can you think of one individual, another tax collector in scripture who, uh, who did that? He was a wee little man. Yeah, Zacchaeus uh, in Luke chapter 19. He was one uh, of those individuals that, you know, Jesus confronted him about that. And remember, he said that he he would repent of that and he would give back uh, what he had taken. And so, again, the tax collectors in this time period were not seen in a good light. And again, they were pretty wealthy individuals for, uh, you know, being able to collect uh, a little off the top. And obviously, Levi or Matthew... um, could afford to throw a party here for uh, um, a dinner party. And so, again, uh, these individuals were considered traitors and thieves to the Jewish nation. Uh, but we see here Matthew uh, holds this uh, event, this big reception, verse 29 tells us. And there was a great crowd of people, uh, of tax collectors there and other people who were reclining at the table. And it's interesting to note that, you know, when people gave dinner parties back then, you know, again, uh we don't think of you know, when we think of dinner parties, we think of uh in our homes, our homes are secluded, you know, we have door our doors are shut, our our we have blinds on our windows, uh maybe our, our house is on our property, you know, maybe um, you know, an acre back from the road. Uh, that wasn't the case here in the first century. You know, people's homes were visible, they were open to people, ongoers, uh, you know, passerbys, and so uh you know, you could see a dinner party going on and it wasn't tip, or it even wasn't a bad thing if you just wanted to stop and watch. I mean, they did that. They, it was entertainment back then just to stop and watch these dinner parties going on uh, in these homes. And so uh, verse 30, the Pharisees and their scribes uh, began grumbling at Jesus' disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink uh, with the tax collectors and sinners? Now, let me ask you this, uh, this verse here, um, does this justify us having fellowship with um, you know sinful individuals? And I know we need to clarify the word sinful, right, or, or sinners, because uh, the Bible says we all are sinners, we all fall short, but there's a difference between those who... Um, Who actively seek to live holy lives, but they make a mistake here or there, versus those who, you know, turn away from the Lord and turn away from His teaching, and they actively, you know, live a life in sin. And that's uh, really who the Pharisees are, sort of lumping uh, in in their eyes, in their view. You know, they're talking about this second group here: those who um, are not, uh, (coughs) excuse me, are not, uh, you know, up to their standards, right? And so. You know, a lot of people will take these verses or take a verse like this and say, Well, see, Jesus ate with sinners, and so it's okay for me to, you know, hang out with a bad crowd. Uh, Can we justify our fellowship with sinners based on this verse? What is Jesus going to do um, here in these verses uh, that he does elsewhere? In the scriptures, when he uh, uh, visits a group like this, well, he tells us there in verse thirty-one, right? He says, uh, "His purpose there was that to because the people uh, were spiritually sick." Right? He says, uh, "It is not those who are well who need a physician, but it's those who are sick." A lot of times when Jesus gets accused of, you know, hanging out with, um, with the sinners, with, with that crowd, you know, it, Jesus always is there not to um, commend them in their sins, but he always, you know, he'll always tell them, you know, go and sin no more, right, or or, or to stop stop what you're doing, and that's exactly what he says here in verse thirty-one. He knows the people. Uh, in this crowd are spiritually sick. You know, he doesn't deny that. And he says, I have, uh, it's not those who are well who need a physician, but it's those who are sick. You know, I have come to call the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. You know, and, um, you know the Pharisees were good at diagnosing people's spiritual condition, but Jesus not only diagnosed it, but he offered the cure as well. And so, you know, what can we learn from that statement that Jesus made there? um, That it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. You know, what are are your thoughts? What are some things that we can learn uh, from that statement? Jesus is Savior. Okay, yeah, Jesus is Savior. Uh, Is he the savior for some people? All people. Right. And so we have an example here of, you know, Jesus seeing those who are spiritually sick. And he says, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to, you know, teach them uh, the gospel. I'm going to go and talk to them. Uh, They need a physician, a spiritual physician. Uh, and again, you know, that's probably the main thing that, you know, I took from the, those verses is that the gospel is for all. Again, it doesn't matter who or what the person has done, uh, Christ can heal anyone, right? Because he is the great physician, right? He, he is the great physician. And so. Uh, so let, let's turn our attentions to verses 33 through the end because this is sort of the, the second half of this account. This is where uh, most, of the th- most of the action happens. And so apparently, during this reception, uh, the, the Pharisees and the scribes uh, ask these questions regarding fasting. And again, uh, it's believed that John the Baptist's disciples are also asking this question. Uh, they wanted to know. Why Jesus and his disciples were eating and drinking while uh, everyone else, uh, the, the disciples of the Pharisees, the disciples of John, were fasting. Were, they were restraining themselves from eating and drinking. Uh, again, why did they bring this up at this moment? Well, maybe it's because Jesus was eating with the sinners. You know, again, they couldn't get him on uh, his association with them uh, from the last few verses. But maybe they can get him on another subject or maybe they see, you know, Jesus and his disciples enjoying themselves at this banquet. Or whatever it's worth, you know, they bring up this question here in verse 33. You know, again, um, but yours are eating and drinking and everyone else is fasting. Why is that? And so we we know uh, about the Pharisees. Again, uh, you know, the Pharisees who are righteous in their own eyes, they're they're very pious, they're very religious. Um, in their uh, in their own laws, again, their own man-made laws, they practiced fasting two times a week. Uh, that's in that's also in scripture uh, in the uh, parable of the publican and the tax collector. You remember that when the two different men would go and pray near the temple, and it's the, the 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 Pharisee who says, "You know, I fast twice a week." Well, that's exactly what they did. It was actually on Mondays and Thursdays. Where their customary days to fast, and so they practice fasting twice a week. Um, but was but fasting, the practice of fasting uh, in the Old Testament uh, was only commanded, actually uh, one time uh, in Leviticus uh, chapter sixteen verse thirty one mentions this. And this was on the Day of Atonement. This was the day that the high priest would go into the Most Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice for himself and for all of the sins of the people uh, that they might not have been aware that they committed. And uh, Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 16 verse 31 uh, talks about a humbling your souls, which really is what fasting is all about. And so there's really only one place in the Old Testament where fasting was, uh, you know, commanded uh, to be done, and it was to be done on the Day of Atonement. But over the years, you know, as they um, began making their own rules, their own regulations, their own laws, their man-made laws, you know, they would implement this uh, here and there, uh, I remember in, in the book of Zechariah, chapter seven, you know, they uh, God asked specifically about the fasting that they were doing. Uh, you know, they made a, a, a they made a rule that on this certain day uh, that the people would fast in commemoration of an event that happened in Israel's history. And uh, Jesus, or me, God asked in Zechariah chapter seven, verse five. You know, when you're fasting, are you doing that for me? Is it really for me or are you doing these things for yourself, right? Because you've made up these things or you've made up these rules. You've made up these dates that, you know, you're going to fast. And so let's notice here quickly these three responses that Jesus gives um, again in verse uh, 34 and 35. This is the first response that he gives to the ask, to the question. Why don't you fast? First he says, you cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? But the day will come, and when the bridegroom is taken away that, from them, that they will fast in those days. So, so what is, what's Jesus talking about there? What does he mean with that statement? Yeah, it's a, it's a thought provoker, right? Uh, Jesus is, uh, you know, he's, he's saying here that, listen, I, you know, he's referencing himself as the, the bridegroom, right? And so, and that his disciples or his apostles are the attendants. And so while the bridegroom is with them, they have no need to fast. They have no need to uh, humble the soul, if you will, or to sorrow because he's there with them. But he says, but when the bridegroom goes away, when he's taken away from them, uh, then they will fast in those days. And so that's Jesus's first response. Uh, Let's notice his second response uh, there in verse 36, because now it says now he tells them a couple of parables. Verse 36. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will both tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. Now, again, uh, Jesus is teaching in parables. Uh, these are earthly stories with heavenly meaning, and so he's talking about things that they were familiar with, like clothing or, uh, or different types of garments, right? And so he says, uh, "No one is going to take a a new garment or a, or, a, or a piece of cloth from a new garment and put it on the old garment to." Um, to cover it up, uh, because what's going to happen? The, the that new garment is going to force the old one to um, to tear, right? And so nobody does that. And then he offers a second one, a second parable, verses thirty-seven through thirty-nine, about putting uh, new wine into old wine skins. Right? Um, what happens to New wine, so obviously this is in reference to grape juice because uh, it's fresh, fresh grape juice. What happens to grape juice over time if you just let, let it alone? Right. if It expands, it ferments. And so uh, you have to put it in a, a new wine skin so that as it ferments, as it expands, uh, it's, the skin, the container is going to be able to expand with it. Right? and so Jesus is saying, no one takes, you know, the fresh grape juice and puts it in old wineskins because those wineskins have already what? They've already, yeah, they've already expanded, right? They, they've already uh, expanded, and so if you were to do that, uh, they're going to bust, they're going to burst, and so, you know, Jesus gives these these couple of parables, this explanation to why uh, are they not fasting, and. You know, what, what's the purpose here? You know, what is Jesus trying to get through to them as far as uh, why they were not fasting? People, right, yeah. So, again, these are, you know, parables. You know, again, parables make us think. You know, we really, we have to dig into them a little bit. Uh, to sort of understand what what's being said you know and that's basically what jesus is saying he's saying you know this part of the old uh the old law or the old traditions uh, of fasting you're trying to bring into these new uh the the new side of things my new teachings right and so you're you're trying to take fasting, which is uh you know a an old uh an old Cloth, An old piece of cloth and trying to patch it up on a new garment or you're trying to take, you know, an old wine skin and fill it up with new wine. And that just doesn't work uh, is what he's talking about. Um, he, he's teaching his new law here throughout the gospel accounts. And so um, he's trying to get them to understand that, you know, their traditions are not going to fit into uh, the new covenant uh, that's going to take place. Uh, fasting has a purpose and while it was here, it was it, it was not to serve a purpose for for his disciples uh, to fast. and so again let, let's remind ourselves about fasting. Uh, you know wh- when I say fasting, what does that bring to your mind? Okay, yes, yeah, so that's probably the biggest thing is refraining. From eating and drinking, and, and there are a lot of different examples in the Old Testament uh, of reasons why they fasted. We could read of uh, personal sorrow, uh, critical illness of a loved one, uh, repentance uh, in connection to important religious events. All of those things were reasons why uh, they fasted in the Old Testament, but again, the Old Testament is not commanded. Or excuse me, fasting is not commanded in the Old Testament other than that one event. And so uh, they're taking their traditions, uh, their traditions of fasting, these man-made rules that they came up with of when they had to fast and how they had to fast, you know, two times a week and those types of things. And they're trying to take those things as a piece of cloth or as uh, an old wineskin or a new wine, or, yes, old wineskin and try to implement it into the new Um, You know, we even see fasting in the New Testament. You know, the early church fasted before they sent Barnabas and Saul on their missionary campaigns. Uh, Jesus talked about fasting, and this is in reference to what I was talking about earlier that we've already uh, studied these passages together uh, back in Matthew chapter 6. But I want to reread these um, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 16. Again, notice what Jesus says about fasting. It says, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So basically, Jesus is asking the question, uh, should I personally know if you are fasting? No, no. Jesus says uh, that, you know, the the Pharisees were really good at uh, showing, expressing uh, their fasting because they again, they wanted the people to see how religious they were, how pious they were. And so they'd mess up their hair. You know, maybe they wouldn't. you know, upkeep their clothing. Uh, they would look gloomy. Uh, some accounts say that you know they would make their faces a little pale, make a, make them look a little sickly as they walked around town. You know, and people you know would see that and go up to them and ask them, you know, hey, what's going on? Oh, and they would respond, you know, that they were fasting. And oh, oh, you're fasting. Wow, you know, you're a really religious individual. You know, you're really taking this seriously. And the Pharisees were doing that because they wanted the attention of men, right? they, they wanted people to notice that they were fasting. But again, Jesus tells us in those passages, when you do those things, you know go on living a normal day, um, anoint your head, wash your face. don't let those things be noticed for show. And, uh, and so obviously, you know again, you know, we could go back to that lesson we talked about a couple of months ago. About Fasting and, and you know we talked a lot about you know the, the benefits of it uh, even today. You know it helps cleanse our bodies both physically and spiritually. Uh, it gives our minds room to think deeper. It helps hone our self-discipline. It helps us appreciate some of the basic things in life. And again the, the overall uh, kind of theme uh, of fasting was to humble the soul. You know again if, if I'm going to say to myself I'm going to fast. Uh, the rest of this day, and you know, it gets to about 3 p.m. and my stomach starts to growl. You know, makes growling noises. That's a reminder to me that you know I'm doing this for God. Right? I'm humbling my soul. Uh, I am fasting. I'm withholding food so that I can concentrate uh, on God throughout the day. And so, should Christians fast today? Well, again, uh, fasting is a matter of opinion. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 that we just read implies that Christians who fast uh, should follow his instructions, but we're never given uh, a requirement to do it today. Um, and so, again, the, the the point of this account here back in Luke of this dinner party, this question at this dinner party is, um, you know, you, you Pharisees, uh, you disciples of John, you're worried about these old uh, traditions that uh, – that are not going to be part of, you know, the the new law. They're not going to be part of uh, this change, this new covenant. And so, uh, you know, again, don't worry about those things. And so I know there was a lot of redundancy in this class uh, this morning versus the class we looked at back in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. But hopefully it reaffirms some of the things that uh, we studied then as well about fasting and uh and we do, we'll continue on in the life of Jesus. Again, uh, next Sunday, we will be in uh, Lesson 42. And this will be Raising Jairus' Daughter and Other Healings. And uh, specifically, that will be Mark chapter 5, verses 22 through 43. So uh, I appreciate your comments this morning. And look forward to studying that account with you next week. And Brother Jimmy's going to have our closing prayer for us.